0: That was good stuff. We serve a God who's alive and he reigns today. He has victory over, gra- over the grave and over death. That ought to make you shout. The flowers that you see here in the front are from a memorial service that was held yesterday for Jennifer Marie Paco. Jennifer was not a member of our church, but Pastor Jim officiated over that service. And every time I think about a memorial service or a funeral service, I think about our great God and I think about the victory that he has given us over the grave and death. I think about... The words that he has spoken to us, Jesus himself saying these words, anyone who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. To make that more clear, he goes on and says, anyone who believes in me will never die. The apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Victory in Jesus. On April the 16th of this year, we're going to celebrate Easter. On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that He is alive today. But the reality is, as though we set aside a day every year to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as believers celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. For every day he lives, every day he walks with us, every day he communes with us, every day he guides and directs us, every day he offers us peace and comfort and love and joy. Every day, he is our partner and our friend and our Lord and our master. He lives today. In the same way, a couple of days from now, we are going to celebrate love. Y'all remember that, right? You guys know that, right? On February the 14th, we celebrate, celebrate Valentine's Day. But in the same way as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we should celebrate love every day. Every day ought to be a celebration of love, especially for those who are our spouse, those that we have given ourselves to. Every day ought to be an expression of that. Every day ought to be a way that we communicate that and that we act that out in love. That is why our passage of Scripture today is so relevant to love because it is one of the great love stories in all of the Bible. It is the story of Hosea. As I read Hosea, I am reminded of this fact, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and that God's ways are not our ways. The Bible goes on to say in that context that his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than our ways they are higher than the heavens are from the earth. That is a very, very important truth that we need to embrace and make a part of our lives. God doesn't do things the way we do things. What makes sense to us may not be the way God chooses to move, And when God chooses to move, we must not be surprised when it makes no sense because his ways are higher than our ways. Amen. I've used this example several times and I'm going to keep on using it. God decided that he would have Noah build an ark in the middle of a desert where it had never rained before. Now that doesn't make a bit of sense, but God's ways are not our ways and God always has a plan and God always has a purpose. When will we learn to trust him in that? Just before God was to set an altar of sacrifice on fire, he had buckets and buckets and buckets of water poured on that altar. Now that's not logical. And it makes no sense. But God's ways are not like our ways. When Joshua met a pre-incarnated Jesus out in the wilderness in the dead of night under the stars. Jesus wanted to tell him the strategy that Joshua was to use in order to defeat the enemy. In this case, the enemy was Jericho. Jericho was not an enemy that the Israelites were afraid of. The Israelites outnumbered them. Probably 60, 70, 80 to one, they outnumbered them. But the challenge was an impenetrable wall. And so I imagine the great minds of the Israelites would get together and decide how they were going to get over that wall. Maybe catapults, maybe ropes, some sorts of ladders. I imagine they spent hours. But when Joshua met with this pre-incarnated Jesus, Jesus gave him a plan. And here's the plan. March around the wall seven times and blow your horns and the wall will come tumbling down. Well, that don't make a bit of sense. And that's illogical. And from my perspective as a pastor and, and having this wonderful group of elders that I go to and say stuff like, here's what I feel like the Lord wants us to do. I think about Joshua walking back from his meeting with Jesus to the elder meeting, if you will, and saying to them, I've met with God, and here's the plan. We're going to walk around the wall seven times and blow our horns. Any discussion? Well, let's vote on it. No, I think Joshua said this isn't up for discussion and we're not gonna vote on it. This is what God said, and this is what we're going to do. God's ways are not our ways. I see that again in this book of Hosea. Hosea is an Old Testament book. It was written about 700 years before Jesus came to earth to be our savior. The nation of Israel at that time had been divided into two nations, a northern nation and a southern nation. The northern nation was made up of 10 tribes of Israel. And Hosea was their preacher. And he stood alone. And it was a time when the people of Israel had turned their backs on God. As a matter of fact, They found just about everything, everything to be more appealing to them than God was. And they sought after things and people. And they lived as they thought that they should live. And God was left several times, several times in the Old Testament God describes himself as the husband of the Israelite people. That they were together as one, committed to one another by covenant. He was their husband. And so many times he would see his people being unfaithful to their husband. And that gives us a little bit of insight into why God did what God did in the book of Hosea. Hosea was faithful. Hosea was the prophet. Hosea was the preacher. Hosea was a single man who desired to have a wife. And God comes to Hosea in the very first chapter of that book And he says to him, I have found you a wife. And her name is Gomer. And Gomer is a promiscuous woman. As a matter of fact, she has the reputation for sleeping with just about any man who will sleep with her. She's a prostitute as well. There you go, Hosea. I have found you a wife. Why in the world would God command His preacher to marry a woman who was so promiscuous? The first thought that comes to my mind is that it is a picture of exactly what was happening between God the husband of the people of Israel. It was an illustration, a picture of a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife. And I believe that God preserves this throughout the centuries to remind us of sometimes how we treat God. I think also a reason why that God may have made this crazy, illogical, doesn't make sense decision is because he wanted Hosea, in a sense, to share in God's suffering. You know, as believers, we are called To share in his suffering. In the book of James, I believe it's the fourth chapter, it says that we should rejoice in sharing in the sufferings of our Lord. There is an intimacy, there is a a deep heart experience when we share in the sufferings of the Lord. For what Hosea would experience in his wife Gomer is, in fact, what God experienced with his people Israel, and it was as if God was giving Hosea the opportunity to experience what God experienced, to share in his sufferings. I believe there's an application for us here For all of us experience sufferings of some sort. And I suggest to you on the authority of God's word that there is no suffering that you have experienced that our Lord Jesus has not already experienced. And when we put that suffering in the context of what he himself has experienced on our behalf There is an intimacy, there's this deep heartfelt experience with him whereby we grow in our knowledge of him, whereby we grow in our value of him. And so God says to Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer, knowing Gomer's past. And sure enough, after they had gotten married, Hosea began to hear the rumors that Gomer was being unfaithful, that Gomer was running around with other men, that Gomer was practicing prostitution, and it, and it hurt him, and it hurt him deeply, as you can imagine I I want you I want you to know and we oftentimes forget this as followers of Jesus Christ that every time we sin it hurts our God that it's not just I have forgiven their sins I look the other way when they sin. Their sin is covered by the blood. You know, it's not, it's not that. There is an acknowledgement. There is an understanding of God, an acknowledgement. When we sin and when we sin, it hurts. It hurts. Just as if your spouse went out and cheated on you, that pain, that deep pain, every time. If she did it once, it doesn't mean that it hurts less if she did it or he did it a second time, right? And we, we forget about this, that our sin pierces him. And so I can only begin to imagine, I can only begin to imagine the heart of Hosea as he hears time after time after time about what his wife is doing. It got to the point where Gomer, hanging around with the wrong crowd, got into a lot of trouble and was actually imprisoned in custody. And in those days, they would take prisoners and they would offer the prisoner to the community as a slave to be purchased. And the slave would be purchased by the highest bidder. So I imagine that Hosea may have thought, well, I'm rid of her now because someone will purchase her and I will have no more obligation to her, but God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God goes to Hosea and he says to Hosea, you buy her back. You redeem her. And just as Hosea redeems Gomer, so it is that our Savior redeemed us. Though we are no better than Gomer, though we turn our back on God, Though we cheat on him, though we're unfaithful to him, though we have a tendency to pursue everything but him, he chooses, this God of love, this God of faithfulness chooses to buy us back. I wrote down that when Hosea bought Gomer back, when he redeemed her, the Bible tells us he did so with 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. But when God redeemed us, it cost him everything. He paid the ultimate price with the blood of his son. Gomer did not deserve to be redeemed her behavior did not merit such mercy Israel did not deserve God's faithful betrothal their unfaithfulness did not merit mercy and it's important for us to understand as we come to the Lord's table as we celebrate the ordinance of communion that we too do not deserve the mercy of God we too do not deserve to be redeemed and bought back so why did he do it why did he redeem us why did he pay the ultimate price for our redemption why does he continue to give us his unconditional love It's not because we deserve it. It's because his mercy demands it. Because we serve a God of mercy. And I don't know about you, but I am glad God does not treat us as our sin deserves. He chose us and he loves us. And the love story that we see in Hosea, listen. If you look at the love story and all you see is a man and a woman, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because the love story that we see in Hosea is our story, it's preserved for us, it's a lesson of God's unconditional love. It's a lesson of His faithfulness to us. And He remains faithful to us. I thought this was important enough to put in your notes because I want you to think on it I I, I want you to meditate on it and maybe a great time to do that will be as as we observe the communion table if you are enslaved God will buy you back if you're lost God will find you if you're ashamed God will come and cover you if you wander off He will bring you home. If you give up on him, God will not give up on you. And no matter where you are, God sees you, God sees who you are, and he loves you. This story of Hosea and Gomer is a story of God touching you on the shoulder and saying, come home. Come home. I am your provision. I am your protection. I am your husband. I will love you unconditionally. I will be faithful to you. I'll be there to draw you to myself again and remind you who who you are in Christ. I'll pull you to myself And remind you of your identity. Remind you of who you are in me. This story of Hosea and Gomer. Really, really, it's the story of the whole Bible, isn't it? It's the story of reconciliation. It's the story of restoration. It's the story of a God who loves and a God who goes all out and pays the ultimate price to bring you to himself. His loving desire to make us his people and the people that he intended us to be. Listen. I'm done God's response to Israel 2700 years ago is the same response he has to each of us today he hears the rumors it's more than that for him he is aware when we're unfaithful and yet he's a God who calls us to himself, enters into a covenant with you, redeems you, remains faithful to you. May we never carelessly throw away what costs God so much oh what love I want to ask those who will be assisting us in observing communion if you would come and take your places this is a reverent time and it's a sacred time if you have nothing else to ponder to meditate on to think about during this time I would encourage you to turn to your notes and read the truths the promises of God in his relationship with you so Father God help us to understand how sacred this is to you Help us to understand what these next few minutes mean to you. As if a husband invites his wife to a romantic table so that they can consider all that their love means. So they can consider the cost of the love. So they can consider the union. They they can consider the covenant. They can consider your faithfulness. Your unconditional love. Make it that sacred to each of us is my prayer. Accomplish in every heart and life what you so desire accomplish break down the walls break the chains that hinder us from running to you whatever it is Lord that would keep us from total surrender that would keep us from giving ourselves wholly and fully to you I ask Lord that you would break those chains even now Free us up to run to you and embrace you, even during this sacred time of celebration and remembrance. That's my prayer. I pray it in faith. I pray it believing. And I pray it in your name. Amen. John, if you would help, please. you're a guest in our service today and you know Jesus as your Savior you've placed your faith and trust in him we certainly want to invite you to participate in this communion celebration with us today the way we do it here at Avalon Church is as the tray is passed if you'll take the bread and the cup and hold on to that we like to participate in this celebration and remembrance together. This is a time of prayer. This is a time of communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I trust that everyone who would like to be served has been served. Is there anybody that has been left out? Good. I can only imagine the feeling of the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed as those who were his followers gathered around them and around him and he Broke the bread and distributed it. I often wonder what was going on in his soul, in his spirit, as he knew what lay before him. And he took that bread, broke it, and passed it to his followers, and he held it up and he said, This bread is my body, which is broken for you. I wonder if they understood what he meant. And then he said, as often as you do eat this bread, do so in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, I try to picture you on that night. And I think about the meaning of this is my body, which is broken for you. And I think that the thing that comes to my mind is the fact that you left heaven's glory and took upon yourself... Humanity, a body, a body that would walk with others, serve others, teach others, a body that would be cold, a body that would be hungry, ultimately a body that would be beaten and spit upon. And we know now that the driving force behind that was a love like we've never seen before or since. And so as we remember your body that was broken for us, humbly, we praise you and we thank you the Bible says that after they had taken the bread he took the cup and he gave each one an opportunity to sip from that cup and he said to them this is my blood which is the new covenant which is shed for you This is my blood, and in this blood, there's a whole new way. I'm introducing to you grace. I'm fulfilling the law. It's no longer what you do. It's what I have done for you. He lifted that cup, and he said, As often as you drink this cup, do so in remembrance Lord Jesus you teach us in your word that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood we are still in our sin. And Lord, if we are still in our sin, we cannot be in union with you. And if we are still in our sin, then you cannot look upon us as righteous. And if we are still in our sin, then our destiny is eternal separation from you in a place that the Bible clearly describes as hell. But because of your shed blood... Our sin is washed away. Our destiny is forever changed. You look upon us as righteous and we call heaven our home. We are your children. Praise God for your shed blood and all that it means to us. May we never forget. May we always celebrate grace, undeserved, to God be the glory, great things he has done. I invite you to stand for a time of worship. Arthur, you lead us.